At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, long-awaited 15-60 and 60 on the Eastern Conference. Got a lot to catch up on here with these East teams. And let's begin with the 4-9 and nine Atlanta Hawks. In a tailspin, 1-6 since the last 15-60. and 60, The Collins suspension, some other injuries really hurting them there as well. 29th in the NBA, negative 9.3 net rating after getting housed on back-to-back nights by the Clippers, whom they lost by 49, and the Lakers, whom they trailed by I think it was 26 at the half as LeBron James had was a plus 41 in the first half. Uh, and most troubling, we thought their defense would be a problem. That's actually been slightly better than expected. They are now the 30th ranked offense, Danny. They are, but the way that that is happening is not entirely surprising. So when this is using cleaning the glasses, garbage time filter, but when Trey Young has been on the floor, they've had a 109 offensive rating which is 55th percentile. You know, that might be a little lower than maybe we expected, but remember all of the injuries. They basically haven't played Herter and Trey Young together. John Collins is missing all this time. And that group has a, uh, when Trey's on the floor, they have a negative eight, basically net rating, which is really bad, but it was three, it was about negative three before the twin LA ass kickings. So yeah, that's a bad defense, but, but you know, the offense has been solid and with Trey on the floor, with Trey on the floor. And then the story, and this was something you and I predicted before the season, then it's also been hurt by Evan Turner, not being available the whole time is that when Trey Young is not played 91.1 offensive rating negative 12 net rating and this was my biggest criticism of Travis Schlenk's decision that if they wanted to be competitive this year and and you can make different ideas on that they had to have more depth in terms of ball handling and yeah there could be optimistic takes that Herder and maybe even Cam Reddish and Evan Turner could handle that sort of a workload but they needed more guys to to make that work and that I I would say in terms of if it were anything other than the way that the bottom of the east is shaking out that would have doomed this team beyond all the other issues that they've had yeah I I mean obviously the 25 game suspension for Collins is something that uh, they couldn't have possibly been prepared for but yeah it's been real ugly and the other problem that they have too is there are two young wings who basically they are starting by fiat 7.0 per 47 percent true shooting for deandre hunter although i i have liked okay what he's been able to bring defensively and then cam reddish maybe been the worst rotation player in the nba and and considering that trey young is tethered to those guys uh, in the starting lineup that number that you put out there of their offensive performance with young on the floor is actually pretty darn good to be slightly uh, above average uh getting back to reddish 4.1 pr 37 percent true shooting uh just 
a massive struggle for him. He is shooting only 52% at the rim, 19% from downtown. So you play those two guys, yeah, they get a little more size on the wing that way, which helps their defense some, but those guys aren't ready. And in the case of Hunter, maybe he'll start hitting shots. And that's kind of all he needs to do. Reddish, uh, he's just been a major problem in all possible respects, uh, I would say. Also very interesting to note this team, Danny, Trey Young, 35% usage. Jabari Parker, 25% usage. Nobody else above 20 on the whole team. Even John Collins in the five games that he played, it was only a 19.5% usage. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. A couple other things to note. Uh, they've only played 160 possessions together, but the Hawks are above water, plus 2.5 net rating in the traying John Collins minutes. And if you add in garbage time, it's even more extreme, but there's a reason why we don't do that. And we should go just mention how Trey Young has been this year. I mean, it's completely bonkers. 27 points, nine assists, four rebounds, and 34 minutes a game 24 per was 10th on espn as of monday morning or uh, of monday morning 59 percent true shooting on 35 percent usage 46.6 assist percentage that's the basketball reference version of the stat and fueled by 37 percent on threes 9.2 threes per 36 and a 40 percent free throw attempt rate the other thing is his floater has been incredibly nasty 45 percent three to ten feet 10 to 16 feet which again he takes these folders from pretty far out on, on the pick and roll he doesn't stop for a pull-up jumper for 15 he just takes the floater uh is 53 percent there now with the difficulty of the attempts that he has 37 percent that could go down a, a little bit the floaters could go down he's not shooting it great at the rim only 55 percent that's obviously as a small guard he, he might struggle there and they don't have a, a ton of spacing on this team but if i had to guess his performance is more likely to get worse than to maintain or get better just to if the shooting falls apart a little bit he also is just turning it over like crazy 18 percent turnover rate although as we noted with absolutely nobody else to make a play on this team and he's forced to just do so much and when he's been denied by teams you've seen them have a fair amount of success with that things seem to completely break down for the hawks obviously herder getting healthy now out with that shoulder issue for at least a couple of weeks uh that could maybe help to add some additional playmaking because again that's not coming from hunter and reddish who have joined him in the starting lineup one other quick point to make on the hawks to complement what you were talking about with their lineups the most used trey young five is young reddish hunter jabari parker and damian jones that is a rough five in terms of i I mean that's three basically like maybe you could say hunter with his defense is like a has played as a backup quality player that's a stretch jones and reddish are are not nba rotation players yeah and and then as i mentioned before young and herder they've only played 225 possessions so far and that's not going to add anything in the next couple weeks so i I would say there are a couple reasons for hawks fans to be optimistic one being trey young has been amazing and their other supporting talent can't really get worse and then the bottom of the east is more accessible than i expected it to be so if if they can kind of turn it around but collins missing extended time now with with the suspension and everything else is yeah gonna be yeah the, the the bottom of the east is ada compliant <laughs> <laughs> it really is well we can we can jump to a team that does not have to deal with that except potentially in the first round of the playoffs which is the boston celtics the celtics are 11 and 2 after their win in phoenix over the suns on monday they are third in net rating at plus 8.2 fourth in offense fifth in defense and it's been an interesting road trip for them and we talked on yesterday's podcast and i this was i was specifically looking towards this as a a weird thing for me with boston because they've played wonderfully to start the season and there's nothing i can or will say to to do that but even though they won the game at the end 
I walked away from their win at Chase Center feeling very deflated about the Celtics, but you don't want to take too much from a one-game sample. Yeah, and the Warriors actually did play a good defensive unit. They did in that game, so that's a which they haven't been before. They finally got Jordan Poole out of the starting lineup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think to me the big story though is just their ridiculous improvement defensively, uh, and also just where they're getting their shots from offensively as well. I mean, we thought the defense to me is the bigger story. Daniel Tice has given them a lot more defensively than I thought he could. You know, he uh, I think had last season that there are players in front of him he looked to be reduced athletically he looks better to me this year i think they've been helped by ennis cancer not really playing that much he only played five minutes tonight against the suns i didn't hear anything about an injury there i didn't watch that game watch four other games but uh you know they've been getting good stuff out of robert williams uh, as well brad stevens has been going to his bench uh, and just finding combinations that work marcus smart is even better defensively he's guarding even more positions this year so uh, we'll see uh, is there anything in their defensive numbers just with a cursory look that's unsustainable to you well i mean they're right now not extreme in any of the opponent shooting stats but they are 11th or better so that means opponents are in the bottom 11 in every single zone so i mean seventh weakest on threes sixth uh fourth weakest on mid-range and 11th weakest at the rim you just generally speaking even if a team defends all of those really well you expect it to to shift at least a little bit there um it'll be interesting to see how can how canner's addition affects affects things as well you know in terms of shot distribution foul rate all those sorts also sorts of things i think he could maybe help their defensive rebounding but they're 12th in defensive rebounding so far so it's not like that's been a problem so yeah i mean i would say generally speaking the effective field goal percentage is a little bit is a little bit strong for them but no i mean they've done a far better job than i anticipated really top to bottom stevens deserves a ton of credit for that and so yeah. do the players, of course. Yeah. Now, they basically are doing this all on the strength of forcing opponents to miss shots. Their shot distribution isn't bad, but it's not incredibly impressive either as far as where they're forcing opponents to take shots from. And so I do expect them uh, to drop a, a little bit but not a ton. I mean, I think they're going to be a respectable defense. Uh, and we worried that that maybe it, that that was the big variable. The other thing is offensively, they are doing it by never turning the ball over. Uh, I think they have, it might be at like the lowest turnover rate in history right now. I think I read that, but turning it over on only 10.6% of their possessions. Now, generally we've seen low turnover offenses that hasn't necessarily worked as well in the playoffs. Uh, although some of those teams were in another era, kind of more iso heavy sort of teams but Kemba Walker does a great job of not turning it over helming the offense and then just in general while they're not shooting it amazingly only 17th in e-field goal percentage they have seen as per John Schumann in his excellent power rankings article today the league's biggest improvement in the percentage of the shots that have come in the restricted area remember that was a huge problem last year biggest improvement in free throw rate also a huge problem last year and biggest improvement as mentioned in their turnovers and so now gordon hayward is going to be out for a time with that hand injury but they've managed to keep it going pretty well it does seem like the offense has slowed down a little bit without him where against the kings and warriors they did not score particularly well and they lost that game to the kings as marcus smart's floater rimmed out but uh, they absolutely throttled the suns tonight in what is a, a very nice win going into phoenix so uh, they're looking like they're gonna be right there in the eastern conference uh, 
for quite some time um you want to talk a little bit about jason tatum though who's maybe the one celtic uh despite a, a nice game tonight you compiled these stats beforehand i did uh, but he he's the the one he had 26 points actually got to the foul line for se- for seven and nine tonight but you've been a little bit disappointed in his development or lack thereof this season yeah i mean some of it could just be him rounding into shape but it was something that i wanted to look into inspired by their game at chase center because the warriors are such a bad defensive team that it was it was pretty easy for the celtics to generate good shots and i thought he was the biggest culprit especially early on of just not doing the extra you know the extra drive the extra pass to do it and so they were taking these contested twos and they weren't falling so i wanted to look into it a little bit more and and yeah and i think tatum has been a part of their defensive success but as in basically more as a scorer than anything else there's some some troubling things in his profile so before tonight's game basically 50 percent true shooting on 27 usage that is extremely low especially for a player who's making 38 percent of his threes that's going to come up with another player at some point and his true shooting has basically dropped about four percent each year from his rookie year where he was up all the way at 59 percent so he's kind of been been dropping down now i think this one's going to normalize a lot higher than it is right now but that's just kind of remember he's only had an above average true shooting so far one of his three seasons counting this year as it is right now um and a key part of that is what I call the aggressiveness stats. So that is in his rookie year, Tatum took 32% of his shots at the rim, and then he got to the line for 31%, like relative to his free throw attempts. Those have dropped to 29% and 19% respectively before tonight's game. So he's just not getting those easier baskets. And, and yeah, his three-point percentage has gone up, and, and that's helped because he's a, an effective three-point shooter. But he, you know, if the mid-ranger isn't falling, if, you, if you're taking a few more of those, it's just, you're, you're not, and you're also not getting teams into the into the bonus as much, all those sorts of things. And the last point that I, I'm really interested in in tracking that this year is that his most frequent action per synergy is running pick and roll, 22% of his offensive possessions. And the Celtics, including passes, have a 0.8 points per possession on those, which is 27th percentile. That is not very good. He's been effective in transition spot-ups, the kind of the lower usage Jason Tatum stuff, which he's very good at. Like, there isn't really any argument about that. But the pick and roll thing is interesting because last year that was a strength in his game. They were he were pretty strong in that, the 1.1 points per possession about on those. And so it'll be interesting to see whether this is the aberration, last year's the aberration, or it ends up somewhere in between. But that difference matters a lot because a player like Tatum, whether they are the focal point of an offense or not the focal point, really is is de- is definitive in terms of figuring out their value on a successful team. Also interesting to look at for the Celtics team, and now there's been times where Jalen Brown has been out, there's been times when Gordon Hayward has been out, so there's just more opportunities to go around. They have four players averaging more than 10 drives per game, Walker, Hayward, Braun, and Tatum, the, the guys you would expect and Tatum is shooting only 37.5% on his drives. I think that's one of the biggest issues. And also, you look at the percentage of passes on drives. Walker passes on 38% of his drives. Hayward passes on 40% of his drives. Jalen Brown, criticized for being a crappy passer, passes on 37% of his drives, and Jason Tatum passes on 19% of his drives. So that one of those things is not like the other. And part of that is I think he's hasn't been the force getting all the way to the basket forcing help the way those other three guys have but also he just hasn't been looking for his teammates enough on those plays uh we'll get to the nets here maybe brooklyn fans don't want us to get to them they've uh it's been a struggle for them but first this uh from native kenny atkinson feeling the heat a little bit he, he 
called his team after the loss to the Pacers uh, a below average team. Uh, maybe he needs uh, some native deodorant, which is formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc, and with ingredients found in nature, such as coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. This formula contains simple ingredients that you actually understand and have heard of and comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. And they've got these new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year as well. So coconut and vanilla, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, eucalyptus and mint. My wife uh, really enjoys native, uh, uses it regularly. If you make the switch to a natural deodorant, that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor and wetness production. Native shows that they have over 9,000 five-star reviews uh, on various platforms. Plus, there's no risk to try it. They offer free shipping and free returns and exchanges in the USA. Plus, who wants to actually go to the store and buy more deodorant at this point in time? Much better to give them a shot and get 20% off your first purchase at nativedeodorant.com. Use that familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Maybe not quite as much uh, early in the season because there aren't that many trades, but you will get plenty of cap space talk and plenty of savings using the cap space code 20% off your first purchase at nativedeodorant.com. Make sure you hit that cap space code and let them know that you came from us. Brooklyn sits at five and eight, two and four in their last six games. I shouldn't have said since the last 15 and 60. Technically, that's true because we did a West 15 and 60, but not since we last talked about them because it's our first one on the East negative 3.6 net rating that's bad 22nd in the nba Kyrie irving has missed a couple straight with a shoulder impingement they did win in chicago over the weekend but then really struggled against indiana their second bad loss at barclays to indiana already this season Indiana, not a good matchup for them we'll talk about that game in a little bit once we get through their fundamentals 16th ranked offense 21st ranked defense uh, which is plummeting uh, a little bit anything you wanted to talk uh, about with them uh, before i talk about this game against pacers yeah a little bit so one of the questions we got asked for the mailbag and we saved it for this for obvious reasons was what's going on with the nets and i, I compiled some stats before monday's loss and also Kyrie didn't play so some of it isn't as as pertinent and one of the things i wanted to look at more for my own edification than anything else really was to separate out the Kyrie minutes and the non-Kyrie minutes and the offense has been good enough when when Irving's been on the floor about a 113 offensive rating but they've still been outscored because their defense has been abysmal and then when Kyrie sits again before today 106 offensive rating negative 2.6 net rating which means they've been improved on defense but they've still been you know a worse team and it's interesting that I, I, w- I was no- noting that the the disparity between their defenses in those minutes because the bench doesn't really have any particularly strong defenders when I when I was thinking about it but then I realized their starting lineup doesn't really either so that was, you know, kind of a reminder of some of the red flags that we had for them. The other thing I wanted to look at briefly was shooting luck. There, There is some of that that could explain part of this. Opponents are making a ton of floaters, and that leads into mid-rangers because that's how Queen the Glass filters it. And about 36% of threes, and that was before Indiana shot 14 of 33 tonight. And Well, well so, so let me interrupt you there for a second here. Sure. The thesis, generally a, a correct one, is that you can't really control opponents percentage shooting uh, on jump shots and uh, there's some evidence maybe that teams are taking enough contested three-pointers that that could be starting to change Seth wrote a good piece about that in the last week or so uh but that there are enough contested three-pointers where you're actually uh, might be able to start to control it more against say a team like Houston I think certainly that's the case with say like James Harden and his step back whether you have a good or bad defender on him because he's taken that contested shot regardless in any event 
here though the nets are maybe the most extreme mid-range forcing team that i have ever seen jared allen although i thought he had good mobility coming into the draft no he never ever leaves the paint deandre jordan i think you know where he's standing at all times and so when they go through the other team will even do dho's they'll do pick and rolls and those guys are just not going to leave the paint under any circumstances and so we talk about terry stotts uh, his scheme as forcing a lot of mid-rangers the nets to me are even more extreme i mean even if the opposing center can shoot uh, they're just not even going to come out and guard him right like like sabonis just had a couple of wide open ones you you talked about how in that nets game or or, i'm sorry in that grizzlies game valanchunas just like hit a couple of threes early on they just weren't going to come out and guard him so opponents are getting wide open mid-rangers off the dribble against this team and yeah it might be bad luck that is a very high percentage for opposing teams to shoot from mid-range but they are getting some wide open shots and it wouldn't i don't know the answer to this but it wouldn't shock me if that number stays pretty high uh for the rest of the year actually while you're react to that i want to look up where they've been the the last couple of years uh, on that yeah, the, there's a really sound part of that for me. Also, they don't really have a ton of, this year in particular, a ton of great like scrambling help defender type of guys to to make life a little bit harder yeah. if the big man's not going to get out. And something I was thinking about during the game today, especially during that 41 to 17 second quarter after Brooklyn looked pretty solid in the first, was that they don't have the Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley type of team defender communicator type of guys this year. And I think that's really hurting them and sure... DeAndre Jordan, Ed Davis, you know, they're very different strengths and weaknesses, but, and, and you know, and I, I would say Ed Davis is a better player right now. That's bad news for Sean Marks, who just gave DeAndre a ton of money. But you think about all those complimentary pieces and, you know, then not having, not having Kurix play right now and, and Moose is in the rotation. I mean, Kurix played six minutes, but he was, he's not in the rotation. And I mean, sure, having LaVert and Kyrie and a lot of these other guys out, it doesn't necessarily hurt their defense, but it hurts their offense, which I think hurts their defense. So yeah, I, I think that the kind of the fundamentals on this team I was a little bit lower on them but I think I should have been more confident in that like it was more of a gut thing and I think I should have processed it a little bit more and understood why I felt that way getting back to that question that that I mentioned earlier they were 26th in the NBA in mid-range percentage allowed last year and 29th in 1718 so it does appear to be a trend here that they give up a higher percentage for mid-range now that's only three percent higher than the league average two percent higher than the league average it's still you know 42 percent shooting on two pointers is still your best option if you can force more of those yeah they might shoot a couple of percentage points higher but the math is still good but i mean they're really given the lack of defensive talent that they have on this team they are just so reliant on the math i think this is probably actually the right strategy still the way that they're playing it and you just if they weren't playing it this way they'd probably be even worse off i I would imagine at least they have the math in their favor to some degree uh and that's all they have in their favor at this point but they're still have managed to be respectable well and that's why it's not a surprise that effective field goal percentage is the strongest of their four factors defensively i mean the other part for me is yeah sure you maybe you don't go aggressively after turnovers but a 12.2 yeah. opponent turnover rate you know we talked about just recently how crazy the celtics turnover rate is offensively basically it's like they're playing brooklyn every night that's that's how this is working out and uh, that reduces your transition opportunity steals are a great way of, of generating those 
those kind of looks. It also like I mean if, if you're not playing passing lanes, teams can throw can throw things a little bit more aggressively. And I mean it, I noticed it at moments in the in the Indiana game. I mean the Pacers starting Aaron Holiday at the one, T.J. McConnell and Malcolm Brogdon were both out, and yet they still only turned the ball over ten times in the entire game. Not a lot of guard play in this game because uh, Karis Laverta is out with that thumb injury. Spencer Dinwiddie is uh, really the only starting caliber point guard, although Aaron Holiday sure played like it with 24 points and 13 assists. We'll kind of begin transitioning over to the Pacers uh, in this discussion here, but the Nets got just blasted. They had a 13-minute period spanning the first and second quarter where they only had six points. I think it actually got to 14 minutes. A lot of that was with Dinwiddie out, and so they had to to go with basically Prince and Theo Pinson, who was negative 20 in 16 minutes and was 3 of 11, 1 for 7 on twos. A lot of that occurring during that run by the Pacers. And so it was just a real show. I mean, Dinwiddie had 28 points, and really there's nobody else who could do anything. I and mean, he was setting guys up for threes. Like, the offense looked okay when he was out there. And then without him, it was just a, a complete disaster. I mentioned the matchup against the Pacers. DeMontis Savonis had 15 rebounds in the first half. Uh, and he didn't shoot it amazingly well, but he really uh, was just punking their guys inside once more. Uh, the Nets just kept going at Goga Bitadze, and Bitadze looked really good defending the room. He actually forced five straight misses in the paint when they went at him during that run. And then finally, when Dinwiddie came back in, he was able to make a layup over him, and Bitadze raised his arm. He, he knew that he had gotten too far up the floor and then let Dinwiddie get up ahead of steam and get past him, where when he was laying back, uh, it, that's how he was getting all these stops. This guy's just trying to go right into his chest, and, and he is just, I mean, he's got like Brooke Lopez style of size around on the rim there so uh, um especially when he gets stronger and guys bounce out off him a little more i think he's gonna be a major problem at the rim miles turner also caused real problems he had three block shots uh, for the nets and, and that's why they just had a, a, an epic struggle shooting only 38 percent on twos in the game uh one more thing on the nets before we transition sometimes extreme injury circumstances can be the best indicator of a coach's deep rotation preferences and so in this one that was zan and musa Theo Pinson and the recently signed Amon Shumpert getting the bench perimeter minutes and David Nwaba and Kuroks not getting those minutes. And I thought that was notable just in terms of understanding where these things might go, you know, and Claxton was a, was a, his head of Kuroks in the rotation. And I've never been particularly impressed with Musa. Yeah, he's young enough and was a first round yeah. pick. You give him a chance to, ch- chance to do it. And they needed ball handling on that unit in the worst way. And maybe they hoped that he could bring some of it. But I, I, I like having those opportunities sometimes for a coach because you, you might not always know okay you only have five minutes to divvy up among these two three guys who they really like more but when you have 20 then it becomes more telling you know what i learned on the broadcast i didn't realize musa is six nine six nine yeah wasn't that i was he's like something no, like six I, five guy i thought he was six eight but i mean this is and and it was interesting with the announcers they were kind of talking about how that's surprising and sometimes i don't think they intended it this way it's considering it was the brooklyn broadcast and they're excellent at their jobs but that's a criticism you know like players who you don't know notice their height because they don't use it 
then that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah, he doesn't have a ton of length either. And he also doesn't really have the type of jumper where he's using his size to get it off. Uh, so, yeah, no, that is a cruiser. I mean, basically, I mean, it, for 6 and 9, his ball handling is pretty good, but it, it doesn't really add up too much. He's 0 for 4. Tonight, they also signed Iman Shumfort with uh, their exception, giving them a, a 16th roster spot with Wilson Chandler out. Yeah, it is interesting that Kurox, who started all last year, is just not in the rotation at all. I don't know whether part of that has to do with the troubling domestic violence allegations uh, against him um and i think nawaba you know he has been in the rotation before but i think it's hard to play him when you're just at such a deficit uh, of ball handling and creation so yeah i mean he played the last six minutes when things uh, were out of control let's turn to the pacers now yeah, I want to give their stats so we don't forget because we yeah, sometimes yeah. do that. No, I was actually going to remember amazingly. Wow. Uh, eight and six. They are plus 4.7 net rating, which puts them ninth in the league, 17th in offense, seventh in defense. And I mean, basically, we, we've talked about the line of separation in the East being about six teams. And as of right now, without Victor Oladipo being there, they're above that line of separation, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, and a good job by them after a, a tough start keeping it together. Uh, they are five and two in their last seven Uh now that was compiled on the third easiest schedule in the nba coming into tonight and certainly playing against the nets uh, in this diminished condition made that even easier a couple of notes uh, on this game naz mitru long uh, gave them a spark as their backup point guard again that that system i think you know allows you to get comfortable as a point guard he hit a, a three off the dribble it doesn't have the quickest release in the world and then got going with a couple of floaters uh, and a run out uh, he ended up plus 21 five out of ten in 26 minutes with 12 points two of six from three some of that compiled in garbage time mentioned holiday just going absolutely crazy again he just had so much room to operate in the mid-range and this is a Nets team that just doesn't put pressure on you to make decisions you know what you're getting every single time you're not going to be pressured by the perimeter players you're not going to be pressured by their center and holiday i think decision making has been one of his biggest struggles also helped that that he had the three-pointer falling today but easily the best game of his young career with that 24 and 13 how is the too big thing going obviously turner missed some time with a, an ankle sprain but he's back now Sabonis missed a couple with a calf contusion uh but uh, how's it looking uh it's a little bit of a mixed bag i i so this these stats were compiled before monday's game but turner and Sabonis played about 230 possessions together so still a small sample size for guys that you intend to start together and that's due to turner's injury they've been outscored negative 1.8 net rating but it's been the offensive struggles you know they 103 offensive rating that's not particular i mean some of that is their fault just we've talked about the spacing and some of the other stuff but the defense has been pretty good small sample size the turner non-sabonis minutes have been really bad they actually had like a negative 40 net rating in those before their before the bucks game and then that improved it all the way to negative 21 but again small sample size theater then they've been best in the Sabonis non-Turner minutes. There, as you said with the schedule stuff, there's a lot of context there. 550 possessions plus nine net rating. Great defense pretty solid offense and then the one that i think is is an important takeaway here and a really interesting question for pritchard now is that when neither sabonis nor turner has been on the floor 390 possessions plus 2.6 net rating and there there are a lot of different you could say heroes in those minutes they've had more of that due to injuries but goga patase has i think stepped up and been a really good backup center which is less important when you have the the, the guys that they do on the roster but that's you know that was kind of the idea potentially before not signing sabonis 
or theoretically extending Sabonis and training Turner was that you don't need that guy to be the backup if Patate can step up quickly. A couple other little uh, statistical notes uh, on these guys. TJ Warren, jumper still looks like it did last year, but he's only 28%. Remember, he had one of the crazier one-season shooting improvements that we've ever seen last year in Phoenix. He's only 11 out of 39 on the year. But I think if that can start to drop at around 35%, you know, his two-point percentage is pretty good. Malcolm Brogdon, also a a guy who shoots it really well from three historically. He's at 31%, taking a lot more of those off the dribble. Justin Holiday, 28%. Doug McDermott, per usual, shooting it really well from three, but crappy overall efficiency because he just takes too many two-pointers and doesn't make them jeremy lamb who also again missed this game he came back briefly from an ankle sprain and then he was out Uh, mentioned that brogdon missed this one with lower back soreness lamb has really been struggling from three so they really only have one guy uh who's been hitting at at kind of an above normal rate and that's miles turner who's 11 out of 22 in five games still would like to see even more attempts uh, from him out there uh Let's continue in sort of alphabetical order here with the Charlotte Hornets. Six and eight, two and five in their last seven, but their fundamentals really belie that six and eight record. They have the 27th best net rating after getting completely shithoused by the Raptors in the second half tonight. Negative 8.0 net rating. They have the 22nd ranked offense, which is actually better than I expected it to be, but the 28th ranked defense, which is worse than I expected it to be. And that offense is just so incredibly dependent on hitting their three-pointers. And when those stop falling, like in the second half against the Raptors, they just have absolutely nowhere to go against any kind of a competent uh, offensive team. Um, Anything that stood out to you uh, about these guys before I talk a little bit about this game against Toronto? I mean, we'll, we'll break him down at a later point in the season, but it has been a very encouraging campaign overall for Devontae Graham this was the Toronto game was not necessarily his best performance 11 points on nine shooting possessions but he did have six assists and I'm interested in where James Borrego goes with this rotation I mean it seems like he's pretty comfortable with their starting five not including Nikola Batum who has returned but is coming off the bench playing significant minutes but coming off the bench and PJ Washington has played well enough to earn that that Miles Bridges is an important part of their future Rozier they just paid a bunch of money Cody Zeller's established so and Devontae Graham's done a really nice job so I'm interested in where Borrego goes with this how kind of how they how they balance it out but going young in the starting five is where they you know where they would be going if they're tanking or if they're kind of playing it straight I think it all kind of ties together yeah uh, nick batum is back but he played limited minutes uh, against toronto grandma has been outplaying terry rozier uh, which has been interesting uh, to watch but graham very very dependent on that three-pointer I mean, he shot it so poorly last year, but it was a good shooter at Kansas, and now he's been at, at 40%, and more importantly, taking 59% of his shots from downtown and getting up 9.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. I mean, that's a big part of why their offense has been a little bit better than expected. Their overall three-point shooting has definitely exceeded expectations so far. Uh, although it's been dropping a little bit lately they're down to 37 percent, but they definitely get them up eighth in the nba and three-point attempt rate and so that helps a little bit they never get to the foul line uh, of course they turn it over a fair amount so if that three-point percentage drops down a little bit more then they could be in trouble their defense hilariously they are 
in the bottom six in two of the four factors and the top three in two of the other four factors 29th in e-field goal percentage third in forcing turnovers very milwaukee bucks ask under jason kidd there 25th in defense rebound percentage again because they're putting more pressure on away from the basket uh, but they're also avoiding fouling maybe because they're just too far away uh, from the defense but uh obviously being 29th in e-field goal percentage it doesn't matter what else you're gonna do you're gonna have a bad defense there um anything else before i, I talk a little bit about, about this game uh, against toronto which was a 132 to 96 shellacking yeah uh, something i want to keep an eye on is malik monk this year 58 percent true shooting by far the best of his career and he's not doing it by making more threes he's a career 33 percent three-point shooter he's at 32 this year it's actually it would be a career low but what's been different is he's been getting to the basket or near the basket a lot more often a much higher proportion of his shots and then he's also making them at what i would consider a ridiculous rate not you know 70 percent at the rim is, is very good but that's largely you know it's closely in line but 65 percent from floater range when he has been 36 percent and 25 percent so I, I think there's plenty of fool's gold there his usage is a little bit lower and and that's good his turnover rates up but and this is the year that Malik Monk has to establish himself as a as a legitimate NBA player he did get his option picked up but you know extension negotiations establishing a value even at something as scarce as shooting guard you have to actually be an effective offensive player yeah and I think just the, mentally uh, the game does not look like like it, it's really falling in the line for him uh, he had a play raptors are on a run uh, they broke it out from a four-point halftime lead to get it up into double digits monk comes in his first possession of the game after the raptors hit a three he's just kind of he catches the ball he has a live dribble just standing there waiting for a guy to come up and set a screen for him and fred van vliet just runs up to him he's like kind of just nonchalantly holding it and then just takes the ball away from it and the raptors got another dunk like it was just one of the most pathetic turnovers i've ever seen in my life he just like just kind of stood there and held the ball like didn't try to protect it didn't try to like grab it harder he just fred van vliet just took it away from him. you know the, those are the sort of head scratching plays uh, that you will see from him fairly regularly james borrego it's interesting you know cody martin hasn't played a ton and he also has a 2.7 i'm sorry no that's wrong that's his re- rebounds per game. uh he has a 13 per i i apologize there it, it did seem a little low uh but he, he kind of doesn't really play that much except he'll come in sometimes towards the end of halves and give them some defense on the wing miles bridges has disappointed again in that role you know they don't really have a defensive stopper you know, he, martin played some down the end uh, of their game against the pistons which they won so he's uh, he was really good at the end of their game against the pacers and their game against the warriors as well uh, defensively so it's interesting that brego kind of plays it more when the chips are down but not that much overall so martin is 24 so he's an older rookie but he came in as kind of a scorer's reputation but he, he obviously has added something defensively uh, i mentioned some of those close wins that they've had john schumann had this stat too great follow on twitter their six wins have been by an average of just over three points and their eight losses have come by a total of 128 points so uh yeah i don't think they're gonna finish uh, the season uh winning six out of every 14 games but they don't have to to get hornets over baby so <laughs> yeah that's right only 17 more to go and and they 
I think the next two weeks will be notable for them because they have a bunch of winnable road games. You know, they play Brooklyn and Washington this week, and then they have Detroit next week, though, of course, Blake Griffin's back. We'll talk about that soon enough. So we'll get a sense of whether they're generic bad, real bad, or just kind of a little bit frisky. And some of that will be, as you said, if their three-point shot is is falling. But I, I think we can kind of, in, in line with what we did before, transition a little bit to the Raptors because the game we'll talk about with both of them. The Raps are 9-4. and four. They are fourth in the NBA in net rating, seventh in offense, and sixth in defense. One of those is the offense is significantly more surprising. We will do an, an in-depth Pascal Siakam thing a little bit later, but I want to I want to build up more of a statistical profile on it. He's been phenomenal, of course. And one one other smaller player that I want to mention briefly is due to injuries, Chris Boucher has stepped into a larger role. Once a two-way player for the Warriors was in the Raptors 905 system for last year, then got a full roster spot. And you know he's to me when I've watched him, he's looked more you know imperfect, but more like a a competent rotation player, aggressively taking threes. He's averaging about three of them a game during this larger rotation time. And, you know, he's not perfect, but I mean, that's what the Raptors are kind of getting at here is this idea that you can get, if you can get a 10 to 15 minute a game guy, even temporarily for the minimum, it's incredibly valuable for team building purposes. Yeah. And you remember at the start of the season, they didn't want to play him. They didn't want to play some of of these other uh, guys that they signed. Patrick McCaw is out now. Now Ibaka is out, but I mean, they've held the fort down pretty well considering they're without Lowry and Ibaka right now. Terrence Davis uh, had a nice run in garbage time today. He's uh, been getting minutes uh, a little bit ahead uh, of Matt Thomas on the wing. I do think their offense is not going to be this good all season. Obviously, Siakam has been awesome, better than expected. That's been part of it. The other part is that they're shooting 40% from three on the entire season. And they've got some guys who can shoot it pretty well with Van Fleet and Lowry, to be sure. But uh, no, OG Ananobi will not shoot 53% from three. He did look really good in this game. He had three threes off the dribble in the third quarter, or four overall. Um, so that at least is encouraging that he has that level of confidence to take those generally if you are willing to take them that's probably at least a slight indicator that you're going to make them uh and defensively he of course uh, has been excellent but yeah not gonna shoot at this level i mean it's yeah he started off great at the beginning of his rookie year that was mostly in corners he's definitely taking more above the break he's been more aggressive um but again this is a pretty small sample he's only at taking 3.6 per game. And something I wanted to bring up from from today's win over Charlotte was the three-pointers that Charlotte was conceding were just so open. I mean, when they were in a yeah. zone... Well, well the running. OG ones actually weren't. But, yeah, the but OG a lot ones the, actually yeah. weren't. But some of Powell's, some of uh, Terrence Davis were mostly in garbage time. And, and I mean, part of it was just conceding them with the structure of their defense. And part of it was threat assessment over helping on drives that weren't that dangerous and giving up wide open threes, which is not a good use of of, of attention and resources but you know the Hornets are a young team and they're working on it who else can score from two-point range on this team is a real question mark to me Fred Van Vliet as good as he has been is a 38 percent two-point shooter Marc Gasol is averaging less than one two-point field goal made per game 
and he is shooting 25% from two uh, and 32% overall from the field. He still is not that aggressive taking the three either. I mean, he he distributes it. They have good passers on this team. They do have a fulcrum in Siakam, but it does seem to me that like good defenses, especially if you have someone who's not going to just let Siakam walk to the rim. I think you, this is a offense that is not, does not have the seventh best talent in the league. And yeah, shooting helps and passing ability helps and getting a Baca back uh, can help a little bit but no there, there's uh, I would be very very surprised unless they make a move that if these guys are a top 10 offense uh, when it's all said and done even uh, and if they also if they shoot 40 percent from three for the whole year a couple other notes from the game and it'll be maybe had the best offensive game of his career but then uh, got an elbow to the eye I haven't heard anything uh, about how it's gonna be be at 24 points 10 at 13 from the field the, the same eye that got hit by Kawhi Leonard a few days ago yeah yeah and Ananobi did a nice job getting out in transition he definitely looks more confident with the ball and I think with some of the talent that they had the last two years he wasn't really able to develop some confidence uh, attacking off the dribble he definitely has physical tools to attack uh, and now that it's not like okay you're only going to get one of these opportunities a game and if you screw it up you're coming out uh, it seems like things uh, are a little easier for him and so what's their schedule look like coming up here because I with Lowry and Ibaka out you know it seems like for at least a couple more weeks Lowry might be earlier than Ibaka I want to see whether they're able to maintain this level they they're nine and four five and four on the road and have won all five of their home games so they have a bunch of home games coming up I think yeah they do um so they have their home games coming up are against orlando philly the knicks the jazz the heat and the Rockets. so those are a lot of home games against good teams but at least they are home games and then on the road between now in the next two weeks they really only have actually next three weeks they only have a single game at atlanta and then a single game at orlando neither of which is on a back-to-back so yeah, there's some there's definitely some winnable games there. Now, if they win the if they if they do let's say even a split of the Philly, Utah, Miami, Houston games, I'll be really impressed. But I mean, it's still they have they have some ground that they can that they can put on the bottom half of the East at least. Yeah, and this is a team that with their veterans being well coached, like they're not going to beat themselves necessarily. All right, let's take a quick break here to tell you about Blinkist. And a quick break is appropriate way to describe this because Blinkist gets you more information quickly. They compile the key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books, whether it's in audio or text form everything you need to know is condensed into about 15 minutes you can read or listen to with the app i am kind of annoyed that i didn't come up with the idea for blinkus or at least take it to market because i'd always felt when i read these long non-fiction books especially ones uh, where you're kind of trying to improve your life that like am i really going to remember more than 15 minutes worth of information from this thing that's taking me eight hours to read probably not and so it's good to know that it'll be entertaining to read the whole thing. But if you're reading a book just to like learn something, it's probably not the most efficient way to do it. Blinkist is the most efficient way to do it. You get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price with Blinkist. Right now for a limited time, they have a special offer for our listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Capspace. Please remember that URL slash Capspace. We talk about Capspace constantly. That lets you try it for free for seven days and, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, like blinking your eye. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Capspace to start your free seven-day trial and save 25% off. Whether it's The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg, 
Emotional Intelligence, which is one of my favorite books uh, in my formative years by Daniel Goldman. They've got just about every nonfiction book uh, that you're going to want to read. That's Blinkist.com slash Catspace. Don't forget that slash Catspace URL to let them know that you came from us. All right, next uh, we can talk about the Bulls and Bucks who played each other today. Start with the Bulls, 4-10, and 2-4 and four in their last six. Negative 3.1 net rating is 20th in the NBA. They are 28th in offense, 14th in defense. I thought they were probably, did you think they'd be better offensively or defensively coming into the year? I thought they'd be better defensively because they have Zach Levine. <laughs> You know, like, they, they, what's weird about the Bulls is that they have defensive players. Wait, 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 players. you thought they'd be better offensively? Cause no, no, I my, my skepticism of a Zach Levine-led offense. Just, I just, oh, I, I, but he's a terrible defensive player. Yeah, but he's a guard. You know, like, that's, I, I think, yeah. I liked, you know, Thad Young, Wendell Carter, I like his tools on that end. I did, had no idea how much Chris Dunn they were going to play, especially after what felt like an acrimonious summer on that respect. But they, I thought they had better defensive bones. And I mean, also Sato, you know, like he, he's a, a a competent steward, but not really that, you know, dynamic force. Uh, where I kind of wanted to start with them uh, is... Well, here, let, let me give you a stat here, by the way. Sure. On court, Zach Levine, 110.6 defensive rating. I thought you were going to go here. I had the stat pulled too. Off court... 94.1 defensive rating with Zach Levine. Now, he gets replaced by Chris Dunn a lot. They bring in Thaddeus Young off the bench for Markkanen. So the, the Markkanen has a relatively similar splits as well. well. Well, so that gets into something that I wanted to talk about, which is just kind of a big picture thing. It was true in the Bucks game that, like, I mean, pretty apparent. More in terms of watchability than quality, though, I mean, the difference in net rating is actually 14.5 per 100 possessions with Zach Levine on and off the court. But I was thinking more in terms of watchability. Like, I just... I see, especially with Otto Porter out, the Bulls bench is fun, and the Bulls starters are just a slog, unless they're hitting everything, and then it's looking a little bit better. Well, it'd be nice if Levine and Markkinen could hit shots, particularly Markkinen. He was a further 0 for 4 tonight. They tried to get him going, guarded by Giannis, by bringing him off a lot of screens. Giannis doesn't get through those a lot. Sometimes those screens didn't work, and especially early in the third, Markkinen tried to go right at Giannis, and uh, didn't turn out too well. So ultimately, Markinen struggled to 2 of 12, 0 of 4 from downtown, 5 fouls. So that didn't really work. Levine also, massive struggle for him, 4 out of 16. So those two guys uh, did not look good. It was interesting to see whether Boylan was going to go back to them because a a unit that actually got them a brief lead as uh, Kobe White hit a couple of threes was their three-guard alignment with White, Archidiakono, and Dunn. And then Dunn had a couple of plays where he couldn't take advantage of not being guarded and Thaddeus Young got beat by Giannis one-on-one so they took those two guys out went back to Mark and Levine and uh, the Bulls did not score a field goal after those guys came in with about six minutes remaining and they scored two points in total and uh, the Bucks went uh, took it away to, they the Bucks went on a 16 sorry 17 to 2 run to close the game over the last six minutes. Another important takeaway from this game from Chicago's perspective was the return of Daniel Gafford to the rotation. He had, I mean, it was really the pl- first time. This is his first yeah, meaningful yeah. minute. Re- sorry, the return since the preseason. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Was, this was the first time that Gafford had played more than five minutes in a game the entire year. I thought he looked very good out there. And remember, we, we saw him in preseason and summer league. He was impressive with his, his energy and athleticism. And 
what is concerning from a from a Bulls fan perspective here is that Jim Boylan was not playing good basketball players over Gafford. It was Luke Cornett who is now out for an, and uh, there still isn't a, a specified timetable yet with his issue. Yeah, and then S- sinus Jonathan, infection. I believe sinus infection. And then Cristiano Felicio is four to eight weeks. Something I talked about in the newsers when Nate was gone. And so Gafford will have that opportunity now. I think that he will take it and run with it. But it's also a reminder of that there was this weather idea of maybe they'll just do a three-man frontcourt rotation with Markin and Carter and Thaddeus Young. They're not doing that either, so that's why Thaddeus Young is sitting more in the low 20s in minutes rather than something higher. Yeah, Gafford, I think the excitement about him is a little bit too high. He obviously had a, a nice offensive game with 10 out of 12, 21 points, and he does give an element that Wendell Carter doesn't as far as going up and getting alley-oops. Obviously, Young and Markkinen don't provide that either. And I thought Zach Levine really benefited from that, particularly at the end of the first half uh, when he played with Gafford. It was able to find him for a couple of dunks. It was interesting, too. They threw an alley-oop to Carter. I think used to where uh, Gafford could go get it and Carter couldn't quite uh, slam it down in that difficult run that they had towards the end but Gafford was a disaster defensively Uh, that's he he did have two block shots where he came out of nowhere in a help position but he got stuck trying to guard Giannis he couldn't do that he got beaten three times in a row by Brooke Lopez on just straight line drives when he was there and Brooke Lopez was like I'm gonna just take you off the dribble like not even in a closeout situation he was just standing in front of him and uh Lopez beat him a couple of times there pick and roll defense was really tough uh, now it's not easy to deal with Giannis as the role man the Bucks I think smartly went with Giannis at center and Gafford had to guard him at the end of the first half when Boylan did stay with him and he wasn't really able to defend and pick and roll. So uh, I understand seeing that defensively, why he wasn't necessarily out there. But Cornette uh, was just bad. He wasn't hitting shots. And, and Gafford does provide an offensive element. Also had four offensive rebounds in this game. So I, I do think, you know, give him a few minutes in the right matchup. But he's also going to really struggle defensively here early on. I don't think he has great lateral mobility or great feel at this point in time um, against what was obviously a, a good offensive team uh do you have anything else on the bulls or do you want to move to the buck side of the ledger a uh, couple more notes here chandler hutchison two for eight from the field he's starting at the three in the absence of Otto porter who has a soft tissue injury in his foot and is on and is week to week right now that's not incredibly encouraging because they are very reliant on him Hutchison does have some decent passing. He's got enough of a handle to get into the paint. Really likes to drive left more often, but his explosiveness at the rim is not there. And then the three-point shooting, he did hit one tonight, but I I thought it was a pretty good encapsulation of his shooting issues where he gets a wide open corner three. The United Center was into it as they got back into the game. Airballed that. Bulls get the offensive read on. The ball gets back to him with like two on the shot clock. And because it takes him an hour to get his shot off, they still got a shot clock violation before he could get off another corner three. And you could tell he kind of like didn't really, uh, wasn't like quite ready to shoot it after the ugly air ball earlier in the possession and then realized he had to and just didn't get it off in time. So uh, that was kind of ugly. And defensively, he at least gives like a little bit of size because they just don't have anyone else on the roster who's available right now who's three-man size. But he, he again is not a solution solution you know he's going to be hard pressed to be a bottom end rotation guy not a not a starter speaking of teams that don't have anybody small forward sized the milwaukee bucks (laughs) they are 10 and 3 
Strong second in net rating, plus 9.2. They're eighth in offense, fourth in defense. And why I mention that is because the person who started a small forward for the Bucks, well, you could argue it was either Wes Matthews or Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo. Definitely, definitely Wes Matthews, although he only played yeah. 17 minutes. Even Yeah, he, and he didn't did play that much, and they didn't play that many other bigger guys. He didn't in, even in, take a shot either. Yeah, he didn't. But it was plus 16. Uh, yeah, well, you play play with the MVP. Uh, that can help you. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, so I, I but I thought something that was notable in this one was DiVincenzo starting playing 29 minutes scored 15 points was was aggressive at moments with a shot which I think is is good you know as a complimentary player you need to take it when they're there five and nine from the field three of six from three also had four assists and three steals in his 29 minutes and you know I don't I don't see DiVincenzo as a a starter of of the present but i don't i don't have not gonna talk about the future yet he's still pretty early yeah. in his career he's had a couple but, nice games in a row here for yeah, sure he's had a couple nice games in a row and the bucks are going to need more functional depth uh, on the perimeter you know that is one of the consequences of malcolm brogdon being in indiana now is that i mean george hill had a had a nice game in his own right but they're going to need various players to step up at full strength and then even more when you know chris middleton's out or somebody else yeah a couple of observations on this game before we we talked about a couple larger picture items for them. It's another terrible free throw game from Giannis, five to twelve. I mean, he just it just waxes and wanes so much. He did did go two out of six from three. He's still not really getting guarded out there. He also, I mean, he, like he'll just have these terrible misses though. Like he he somehow missed a, an elbow jump shot that they just gave him a, out of an ISO set that like was so long it barely grazed the rim. Like you almost never see shots like that go that long. Did you see just, him airball another free throw today? No, I, I missed that. I, almost, I almost never pay attention during free throws, but I did see it was 5 out of 12. Yeah, he airballed one of them, and yeah, it was, it was not great. Well, and also, he had eight turnovers with five offensive fouls in the game. <laughs> And I do think that he is getting a really rough whistle on some of these drives and Euro steps where guys are just not there and he's bigger than them. So they're just getting these calls when, I mean, the way it's supposed to be called is that you have to be in his path. And when he's stepping around, you know, he's kind of delivering a glancing blow with his shoulder, the other guy's shoulder and they fall down, but you're not really in his path on the uh, a lot of these plays now where i think he it probably evens out is that he's one of the foremost practitioners in the league of that off-arm shove-off that they're cracking down on this year so he still gets away with that probably a little bit too much he has kind of cut down on that just a little bit uh, but i mean that's going to be a problem both in terms of his turnover rate and just like getting in foul trouble i mean he's going to lead the league in offensive fouls again this year i think he did last year by a substantial margin as well um the other thing that i thought was interesting is they've been running a lot of pick and roll with their guards george hill yeah he would do this back when he was playing with lebron too where he actually like doesn't pick and pop on these he like rolls to the basket and they did the same thing with divincenzo who got completely erased by gafford um the bulls after getting beaten by a couple of times when they he was able to get downhill Giannis was coming off these screens they decided to start trapping those plays and then try to force him to throw it to the roll man and i thought that that's probably the way you want to deal with that uh because you know your your george hill or divincenzo aren't going to be great finishers without a head of steam at the rim if you hit him on the move uh did we do the bucks fundamentals 
Yeah, we did. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple of the other uh, the, the other things. So there, if you look at the four factors and a couple of the other things, largely this Bucks team is in line with last year. You know, a little bit toned down because they were ridiculous. They were the league's best regular season team last year. But there were three before today's game. So because the stats hadn't incorporated as of when we're putting this together, that were really different. And I thought that was notable and wanted to just at least put a signal out there now because it's still small enough sample to not you know be sounding the alarm but so and so the three are rim attempt proportion so last year opponents had the second lowest um or sorry rim attempt sorry let me let me clarify they they got the second most attempts at the rim last year 40.6 percent of their field goal attempts that's incredibly high that's down to 22nd at 34 percent this year i i want to look into you know the how and why that's the case it's just something i wanted to point out opponent three-point shooting it's only gone up about 1.5 percent actually toned down a little bit with the bulls missing so many today um um, but that difference matters more when you concede as many threes as the Bucks do, and that is the biggest part of their rank drop in opponent effective field goal percentage. And then the third thing is fouling. So last year, they had the best opponent free throw rates. That means they weren't fouling very often. And then before tonight's game, they were 13th. And again, that should improve a little bit because the Bulls didn't get to the line that much. And, the you know, each one of those things is relatively minor in the, in the course of it. But if any, you know, if let's say two of the three are more real, maybe last year was a little bit of an aberration, then that, that weakens their overall profile at least a little bit. One thing that strengthens their overall profile is coming into tonight per John Schumann, they had the toughest schedule in the league and they still were second in the NBA in net rating. Knicks and Cavaliers start with the Knicks here getting a, a much needed win there two and two uh, much better than last time against the Cavs in the garden Kevin Love did not play that certainly helped the Knicks uh, to get 38 percent offensive rebounds the Cavs although they did turn it on late with, with just uh, uh, some crazy shooting went 17 to 36 from downtown and still lost by 18 that's uh that's pretty incredible uh they got utterly bludgeoned inside i mentioned the the offensive rebounding 19 offensive rebounds for the knicks taj gibson had six in just 16 minutes julius randall uh, went off finally had a, a good game this is a very good matchup for him as a lot of these teams are but and they were starting Jetty Osmond at the four, and Kevin Porter Jr. got his first start. Actually, was uh, relatively efficient, although he played some in garbage time. He had 18 points uh, on 11 shots, but was three of eight from the foul line, continuing this weird issue where he just can't make free throws. Uh, kind of Lonzo Ball Ian or RJ Barrett Ian. Uh, in that sense, and the Cavs were only 16 of 30 on free throws. Maybe it actually would have been somewhat of a game if they could have made a, a free throw. Well, then the other part of that that could have made it a game, the turnover margin in this one was stark, especially in the competitive portion of the game. 19 for Cleveland, 7 for the Knicks. The Knicks had more steals than turnovers, which is a really, really bad sign. The Knicks were only credited with nine fast break points, which is pretty ridiculous. And they only, but they had 32 points on the possessions after a Cleveland turnover, which I thought was a huge part of getting them going, especially in the in the first quarter when they established a lead. Yeah, and uh, Marcus Morris, I mean, 13 free throw attempts for him that's got to be like a career high for him in free throw attempts he is not known for getting to the line but he was just bludgeoning some of these guys Randall, we mentioned he did have the three-pointer working in the first half as i think he dropped 25 in the first half just totally overpowering i mean tristan thompson was just an island amidst a bunch of twigs around him. i mean there's sexton garland porter jr and osmond i mean that's four i one of the worst four starting perimeters that you can ever see 
see defensively. And Garland in particular, I thought really struggled. Uh, the communication with Tristan Thompson on pick and rolls wasn't there. When to switch, when when to late switch, when to veer back. He just kept getting caught on the big uh, a bunch of times or just Thompson wouldn't come over and the guy would get a layup. It, it was really pretty ugly uh, for the Cavs. Uh, they, they've been game, but now I've fallen to four and nine, uh, obviously not having love. I mean, it's going to be really difficult for them to be competitive in any of these games. I mean, the Knicks are, don't exactly have like awesome wings here, but when you've got got to play Alfonso McKinney 30 minutes, I mean, it's really, it's just a massive struggle. Um, You want to talk a little bit about, uh, did we do the fundamentals for the Knicks? I forgot. I, no, I don't I think didn't. we did, so I'll do it quickly. Uh, yeah. four, 4 and 10, 26th in net rating, negative 7.3, 29th in offense, 19th in defense. Shockingly and, good. Yeah. Shockingly good defense for the Knicks. It, it has been. And I mean, they, they do have, you know, they have a lot of size. It's not necessarily great defensive size. Their defensive rebounding has been great. They're seventh in the league there, and they've been forcing a lot of turnovers. Having Frank as a bigger part of the rotation than we expected has certainly helped in that respect. Um, yeah. Uh, although we thought maybe the way they would be good defensively is if Mitchell Robinson really blew up, but he's uh, been struggling with various injuries. He's back now, but he's going off the bench. They've been starting Taj Gibson, which I think actually uh, has helped them a lot in this game. Yeah, I mean, Um, they could put together 48 good minutes defensively at center, but they've been doing it in different ways because they just have so many mouths to feed. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now because it's too early in his career to start dwelling. But I I just thought it was really interesting that RJ Barrett, before tonight's game, he was uh, 5 of 13 from the field in this one and made some free throws that Barrett him having a 47% true shooting before tonight's game is you know that that's it, it's low and he's a rookie and all that kind of stuff but what I found notable is that he's making before tonight's game and he was one of one today 36% of his threes so the easiest way that we had seen for Barrett to be a more efficient offensive player than he showed at Duke and, and on film was just making more shots and it is true that his three-point attempt rate is extremely low three points six attempts for 36 minutes which is actually going to drop after this game where he only took one but he's only making before tonight 47 percent. i think after tonight 48 percent of his free throws on the season and you know that the idea is always that free throws because you could play especially a low attempt guys taking more of those than they are threes he already has 74 three, uh, free throw attempts which is more of them than three pointers that that's going to bear out and so i'm not pronouncing anything it's far 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 too early for that as players improve you know Devin Booker, any number of any number of them, but the idea, the theory of RJ Barrett is still one that concerns me, even if he's in like the least hospitable possible circumstance. Yeah, and his shooting at the rim has been a struggle. Uh, I think in part due to the lack of spacing, that's part of why Julius Randle has struggled. Is what we talked about how he is not being put in the position to succeed with this personnel, despite what a press conference from Steve Mills and Scott Perry might lead you to believe. But yeah, I think the free throw thing is concerning, especially just because it doesn't bode that well for the jump shot and so no i think he certainly can create shots i think the floor game has been pretty good i think defensively he's been finding a couple nice plays where he blocked his his man shot at the rim tonight he had two blocks and two steals so i think he's his physicality has looked pretty good 
but what his bread and butter is going to be offensively it's tough for me to say it and I I mean obviously I'm not saying that you think he's as good as Devin Booker but I think you know Booker to me had shown a lot more uh at this point in time and and you at least knew that his shooting was something that was going to be a big part of it and also he wasn't the number three overall pick either Cavs talked about them mostly here but uh, so we got on paper four and nine two and four in their last six negative 4.0 net rating they've been better than expected 25th on offense 17th on defense again another team that i thought was going to be just atrocious defensively and watching that the games that i've watched them against orlando in the opener this game uh those are probably the two full games of theirs that i've watched i've obviously watched parts of many others so i still have no idea how the hell they're doing it uh, is and seth had had a piece today where he talked about teams that are benefiting from some shooting lock and he had the cap uh, up there so i do expect their defense to get worse and 25th in offense kind of seems about right to me splits wise obviously uh, kevin love is an important player for them he hasn't had the same usage that i would have expected in part because they have all these other usage guys on the team we uh, john hollinger and i when we did our organization rankings talked a little bit about the fetishization that kobe altman has for usage guys but yeah, love negative 0.8 net rating. That's really, he and Thompson have been pretty good. Their starters overall have been pretty good. Uh, but when you get into some of these bench guys, it's been a total disaster. Uh, one quick point I wanted to make is, while I support the idea in theory, especially if they saw him as the player on the board, which I did, in taking Garland after taking Sexton, I think something that struck me in this game is that those two guys, in the long run, we're talking three, four years from now, they're too small to be a starting backcourt on a good team because teams are just going to run roughshod over them. And I like having two bites at the apple. I think that's a good thing, especially if you don't like the other players on the board. But I, my instinct is, even though offense is more important for guards than defense, my preliminary thing is that you can't start those two guys together on a good team. Yeah, I don't think either of them uh, has, you know, the Damon CJ comparison was made. I don't think either of them has like the strength and intensity uh, of either of those guys. Not that, you know, Dame Lillard has made some big strides defensively. He was really bad for a while, but CJ has always tried at least. Uh, but to, for that to even be a problem, uh, they're both going to have to be starting caliber offensive players. And that, uh, it, you know, the early returns on Garland in particular haven't been amazing, but certainly he's had a, a long layoff. But uh, athletically, I have not been particularly impressed by him. Where are we going next here? Uh, Detroit? Yeah, let's go to Detroit. They are 4-9 and nine on the season, 19th in net rating, outscored by 2.7 points per 100 possessions overall on the year, um, 10th in offense, 25th in defense, and there just really isn't much of a, a much of a sample yet, but they're, uh, they've looked good in the Blake Griffin minutes, even if there are some, you know, some concerns about how, you know, like how he's looked physically. Yeah, plus, I'll get to that. Yeah, so plus 3.7 net rating, 99th percentile, which is, of course, unsustainable in offense, 120.4, but then awful on defense, 117 there. And it is worth noting that even though they played well in the Blake minutes, they did lose both games, not against a murderer's row. They lost at home against the Wolves and then at the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, and uh, that defense, 25th in the NPA, is a, a disappointment, although the offense, uh, of course, is a positive surprise this is another team though that's not going to keep shooting this well from three 40.5 percent number one in the nba from downtown some of your guys who might be a little over their heads there tony snell 46 percent 
Markeith Morris, 41%. Langston Galloway, 46%. Christian Wood, 56%. Although that, that's on a pretty low number of attempts. He did have a nice spot up three off of a, a Griffin, Griffin assist in that Charlotte game. Uh, I went back and looked uh, at Griffin's possessions from that Charlotte game. Looks to be playing pretty similarly, handling the ball, pushing it up floor. I think the biggest person who's going to have to change their game with him back is going to be Drummond, who uh, I thought it, it was indicative in crunch time. They run the four or five pick and roll which they had a lot of success with last year drummond then has the man on him in the post turns around right at the dotted line wants to get a post up blake griffin looks him off and then goes to a step back three-pointer that missed really badly griffin hasn't had the touch from three early on his leaping to me looks pretty compromised i mean obviously even compared to where he was last year he did try for one big dunk on bismack biava when he really had a ton of space to load up but there was one play where he caught the ball you know, kind of on a short roll and was only able to take one step instead of, you know, like a dribble and two steps. And Marvin Williams just like completely swallowed him up. Like 33-year-old Marvin Williams, who underrated shot blocker, but Blake Griffin, you know, was like going right into his chest with his head. Like he had just had no chance to go over Marvin Williams at all. So that was a little bit concerning. Obviously the passing looks good. I think the combination of Rose griffin and drummond which is going to close a lot of games for these guys that's going to be an interesting one as well griffin is really going to need to be continue to be really a threat from three on the pick and pop maybe they'd be better off too having griffin even just spot up and have run some rose drummond pick and roll and then they can swing it around a little bit his post-ups you know he was going against pj washington who's really struggled to defend in the post uh, uh, against stronger players this year but a lot of it is that kind of turn over the opposite shoulder off of one foot not really getting off the ground at all type of plays he still doesn't have any kind of a turnaround jump shot game either so he's kind of just backing down and i think if you can just stay between him and the basket and avoid fouling he's going to try and get fouled more now um you have a pretty good chance to, to force a miss if you got any type of size on him so hopefully he'll look a little bit better as time goes on here another quick thing to note on them numbers much better with christian wood on the floor than with thon maker on the floor sometimes the guys play together as well but i think it's pretty clear to me that wood uh is the better option there uh, than maker at this point in time uh, we can jump to the Miami Heat. They are a strong 9-3 and overall and a similarly strong 5th in net rating, outscoring opponents by 7.3 points per hundred possessions. They are 14th in offense and 3rd in defense. And I think the, the, the storyline that we should talk about a little bit, he, of course, has missed, missed the start of the season, is the preliminary returns on Jimmy Butler. The overall picture, just briefly, 24 PER, 57% true shooting on 23% usage. And that usage number, to me, is the most interesting. That is lower than... Then if we're talking single team seasons, his last two years in Chicago and his only full season as a Timberwolf. Yeah, and I think he was kind of right in that range in Philly as well. But it's very interesting. He's never really had the high usage compared to some of these other superstar wings. You know, he is really, I think like 26% or so is his career high. Now he's always been very, very efficient. And, but he's talked about it kind of being an unselfish player. The problem is that when he's, and he also has really passed the ball well. He had back-to-back games of 13 assists. He, he has been an excellent passer out of the pick and roll, which I'll talk about a little bit 
bit more in a second but if he is going to play next to Dragic and Nunn you know you could very easily see that being a closing lineup for them those three guys at the one through three he's just got to get better as a spot-up guy particularly as he's going to age you mentioned that the early returns athletically have not been great and you know they've got three more years of this guy here as potentially a, their best player he's taken only seven spot-up shots without taking a dribble all season according to synergy and he's also only at 17 percent on long twos right now and shooting it very poorly on three-pointers and i think that he was branded as this three and d player early in his career and we thought that the three-pointer was going to be his swing skill and it seems to me like he's kind of resisted being a spot-up guy once he developed uh, these ball skills but he's gonna have to get back to that at some point in his career and maybe that's just because he's not good at it but it'd be nice if it, if he gave that some work but his distribution ha- has really been outstanding you mentioned the back-to-back 13 assist games he has set up guys out of pick and roll according to synergy more often than he's gone to his own offense his own offense he's only seven out of 27 out of pick and roll this year as a score but uh, off of his passes particularly finding the roll man they've been really efficient 1.7 points per possession when he's found the roll man working with bam out helps there uh, of course uh and he's been able to spray passes around it to shooters uh, as well to the tune of 1.1 points per possession uh, on those plays he's also averaging 2.9 steals per 36 minutes which is a, a crazy number and, and Miami forcing a lot of turnovers Kendrick Dunn and Adebayo are also forcing a, a lot of turnovers and, he, and Butler's also even getting two offensive rebounds for 36 minutes so he is contributing in other areas I do have some concern though that as a score he hasn't looked that dominating they haven't played many close games so far I'm very interested to see what their crunch time offense looks like whether it's going to be the Butler show or whether it'll be a more egalitarian and if it is going to be the Butler show do they then play Dragic still who's shooting it really well from three but is a defensive liability at this point in his career uh, with butler if Dragic isn't going to have the ball much like he wouldn't with Dwayne wade or is it going to be multiple ball handlers multiple pick and rolls at the end of games we, we haven't had a great chance to see that yet we might get some of those opportunities the the heat have an unusual distribution of games over the next few weeks they mostly play bad teams you know they have the the Cavs and the hornets and the warriors all of those teams at home they should be be able to to beat those teams handily as long as the opponents aren't making a ton of shots but they also have road games against philly the rockets and then in early december toronto boston on a back-to-back so i think we'll we'll get at least an opportunity or two to see how the heat can fare there one other thing i want to bring up when a team is this good in net rating and we didn't really necessarily see it coming i look at sustainability things and miami's shooting overall from the field is is you know it's it's prime for some regression now how much that regression affects their one one loss total is is an open question but they're currently third in three-point percentage fifth at the rim and eighth from mid-range and when you look at their personnel those are all rosier than i would expect so toning those down even if the overall picture especially on defense is you know i I think they're a very good defensive team toning that down might end up being about where they are in the eastern conference which is still a pretty damn good place to be yeah and they've managed to be good defensively here third 14th in offense despite the number one e-field goal percentage but then they turn it over at a worst in the nba rate they are playing more shooters than expected myers leonard duncan robinson you know we didn't expect those guys to be in their rotation at the start of the year justice winslow has missed time Derek jones has missed time so you might expect going forward that i mean it's there's not a ton of headroom for their defense uh, to get much better 
opponent three-point percentage has been very lucky though so their defense could get better with the jones and winslow returning playing more maybe than leonard and robinson but their opponents are shooting only 30 percent from three so their actual defense in terms of the quality could get better but their numbers could easily get worse uh and this i mean i'm sorry this personnel is not the number one e-field goal percentage team in the nba so yeah uh, i do think that they are going to have a decline here i mean this is not a nine and three level of basketball team for an entire season to be sure we already covered them but i want to mention detroit is currently leading the league with 42 percent shooting from three so that is prime for regression yeah. their second ineffective field goal percentage no i actually i actually mentioned uh that the three-point shooting was unsustainable but uh, that's okay but we, we, sometimes we have to like go look at our own stats that we can't listen yeah. to each other during this but uh because there's just like so much information we have to get to um some of that information is about the orlando magic on a tear four and two in their last six they're up to six and seven when we talked on the mailbag that we did yesterday we think that they will still make the playoffs think both of us positive now net rating 14th 0.6 still a putrid 27th in offense but uh, considering that a couple of weeks ago they had a 95 offensive rating now being up to 104.6 is much much better and they have the 10th ranked defense at 104.1 interesting that the 27th ranked offense is 104.6 and the 10th ranked defense is 104.1 that's pretty so a lot of bunching together there for sure uh you wanted to talk about uh our old friend markel fultz yeah fultz had a, a huge dunk at the end of their at the end of their win over the weekend and i wanted to look at him anyway i mean fultz is one of the most compelling stories in the league to me and now that he's he took over the starting point guard spot from dj augustine on november 2nd hasn't given it up and the full season stats 10 half points three assists two rebounds 1.3 steals a lot of steals in 24 minutes a game over a 15 per and over 55 percent true shooting barely on both on 20 percent usage 21.6 percent assist percentage using basketball references and yeah 55 percent true shooting isn't amazing but consider that fultz is shooting 21 percent from three i think that's notable and but the other notable part of that 82 percent from the line and a 25 percent free throw rate is you know the 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 theory of marco fultz is a positive offensive player even if his shot never comes around is really that you know driving penetration transition yeah those elements his finishing and, is much better than it was absolutely uh, early in his career yeah his finishing has been much better and then one, one thing i wanted to look at is well how have the minutes been because he was originally coming off the bench and now he's starting when fultz and vooch have played together that's a decent proxy for the starters 510 possessions 113 offensive rating which is 83rd percentile plus five net rating and that overall offensive rating and granted we're still in small sample size theater here is about what it was with Vooch and DJ Augustine last year and yeah I mean there's a little bit of rosiness with Orlando's defense even though I like their personnel but and and that I don't think it's going to stay quite at that level but remember that you know it's not like they had this insane insane offense last year and we're still able to be successful so maybe with it toned down a little bit they'll still be pretty good yeah and i think vooch uh, with his pick and pop ability is an excellent mix for marco fultz uh, because fultz can then get downhill there's nobody mucking up the lane he's not necessarily gonna have to pull up for the jumper off the dribble uh, where he's really struggled uh he's been using a lot of possessions in pick and roll and he's goes to the rim more than half the time which for pick and roll is a huge number 13 to 21 going to the rim though out of pick and roll is good but he's also only five out of 20 on jumpers off the dribble in pick and roll and i mentioned that he's really improved uh, his finishing uh and 46 percent of his offense is coming out of the pick and roll again as you mentioned to have average true shooting especially on this crappy offense 
and getting so much of your offense basically self-created it is pretty good now as a spot-up guy playing off ball it's really still a disaster for him you know he doesn't get guarded uh his mid-ranger looks relatively smooth at least the free throw shooting is good but that three-pointer he just it it takes him forever to get it off he can't really shoot on the move i mean i'm glad that he's been taking it but doesn't look like it's going to be a weapon Uh, anything else you want to talk about with him transition yes um Fultz, 89th percentile as a scorer and creator in transition, 1.7 points per possession. That was something that we were always really into with him. It has become a larger part of his appeal because of the other stuff not being there. And like we saw with De'Aaron Fox, though obviously toned down with Markel, his presence is having an impact on how often the Magic play in the half court. And that's one of the things, since transition opportunities are usually much more successful than half court ones, Orlando playing 77% of their possessions in the half court when Fultz is on there and 81% when he sits. And so even though their half-court offense hasn't really been great in either circumstance, shifting that proportion can be a big help and that can help buoy, uh, I mean, uh, to the extent that the number 27 offense in the league can be buoyed, but it's helping that out. And so that's an important part of his value. And yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, they would have a better point guard who could do more in the half-court and everything else, but at least he's providing value there. The Philadelphia 76ers are eight and five, but only three and four in their last seven. 13th in net rate certainly a a disappointment there also a disappointment uh, on defense at 11th in the nba although in joel Embiid's minutes uh, they have been absolute lockdown uh and then they are the 19th ranked offense so that gives them a 2.7 net rating overall a couple of small notes on him before i I want to talk about uh, ben simmons the three-point shooting overall has been a concern in their three best three-point shooters Tobias Harris is shooting 29% in a Sixers uniform going back to last year, and he is 14 of 55, 26% this year. He had a period where he missed over 20 consecutive threes before finally hitting a couple in their blowout win against Cleveland over the weekend. Josh Richardson is below his career norms at 31%. Al Horford, same thing at 31% as well. The good news is Joel Embiid has been hitting some shots, but and if this were last year's team, you might feel even better about that, but considering that he still has to be the focal point of the offense, he's not going to be out at the three-point line as much. Rotation-wise, Howell Neto uh, has gotten into the rotation. Uh, I think he's really helped them. They needed something at backup point guard. The Josh Richardson at backup point guard wasn't working as well. Batiste Thibault has been out of the rotation. He struggled to 29% from three, just wasn't getting guarded at all despite uh, his fantastic blocks uh, and steal rates. Furkan Korkmaz uh, has been back in the rotation and uh, has hit enough shots uh, to stay there. Um, So it's really been Neto and Korkmaz taking Thibault's minutes. What do some of the numbers look like in terms of their combinations, Danny? I know there has been concern. I mean, the Sixers are eight and five and there there's some disappointing things, but it is worth considering that their starting five and closing five, basically their five best players, have been really dominant. Plus 18.5 net rating, 94 defensive rating, but only 144 possessions per cleaning the glass. That is an exceedingly low percentage for 13 games into the season these guys just cannot get their starting unit together remember they traded for harris and like those guys uh uh, their starting lineup last year basically like didn't play together at all before the playoffs. yeah and and so they've been the the sixers have been positive when either horford or Embiid or the combination of bet on the four um the most frequent of those has been horford without Embiid because of the time Embiid missed and that's actually been the least successful 104.5 defensive rating plus 6.4 net rating and then as you said in the Embiid minutes they've had a sub 100 defensive rating which is fantastic and then but the part stop me if you've heard this before is when 
when neither Embiid nor Horford has been on the floor, 212 possessions, 124 defensive rating, which is first percentile, first percentile, not good, and a negative 24.4 net rating in those 212 possessions. So yeah, yeah, surprise, surprise. That's a problem. Yeah, those are the Kyle O'Quinn minutes. Yeah, and also think about when you have a starting five like this and Brett Brown doesn't always stagger it too much. These are not quality players with how Elton Brand has cultivated this this bench depth. And Ben Simmons is also a key figure. They usually stagger he and Embiid. But he really, there's just almost no evidence that he's improved the jumper uh, he did hit one three-pointer there are those videos of him shooting threes in the offseason well he's been even less aggressive with the jump shot even uh, on twos from outside of 10 feet uh i'm kind of not loving this max contract for him at least for philly and they don't have the ability to trade him this year now essentially I still think they should have thought seriously about trading him, but that's not something that was ever going to be in the cards. He is under 20% usage right now. And I thought it interesting to compare that to the playoffs last year. Remember that certainly before the Butler trade and before the Harris trade, he was supposed to be a bigger part of the offense. Now, again, they've got Harris, they've got Al Horford, and Bede is higher usage than ever before as his career has gone on. Josh Richardson is, you know, a little bit of a mouth to feed there on on the perimeter. And so last year in the playoffs, Simmons was only 17% usage. Uh, He's at 19% this year. Slightly above average efficiency, but you know that he doesn't space the floor. He also is not getting to the foul line hardly at all compared to past years. And there was hope that maybe this year he could take more of a step forward as a creator, especially because, again, remember he's being staggered from Embiid. Some of those lineups have a little bit more spacing. He should be able to go to work. Well, give you some stats on that. Seven possessions is all as a pick and roll ball handler. You remember he used to run some of that snug pick and roll stuff. He has zero points on those seven possessions. He's turned it over on five of those seven. I watched all of them. Four of those were charges where like away from the rim too, where like they try to run it with a small guard and the guard would step out and soon as just run over him from a charge. What about in the post, right? I mean, this was supposed to work great. Now that it's Horford and Embiid are going to be the other team's power players, he's going to have the advantage at 6'10 and 240 or whatever he is a lot of times against guards or uh smaller forwards should be able to destroy those guys au contraire 18 points on 31 possessions only 8 out of 20 turns it over 29 percent of the time only scores 29 percent of the time so he's turning it over as often as, as he's scoring and he also never gets fouled again he just does not whether it's uh his struggles at the foul line or what he just doesn't use his body the way he could I, in their recent game against the Cavs, for example i mean he's posting up on jetty osmond and kevin porter and he gets deep position if he just goes up through the guy's arm with a nice power move over his right shoulder a lot of times he doesn't want to do that he always wants to go back to that right hand in the post and so he he'll get good position and then he somehow ends up fading away for these hook shots that just you know it's not a high percent shot it's a 40 percent shot on a lot of these so uh they'll run a play a lot of times where they try and post him up like they look for him where they'll set a back screen for him to maybe get a lob and then if that's not there the guy who's helping out on the back screen or his own man is a little bit behind so he's able to post up right at the chart circle and even that is just it doesn't work that well i mean he should be having these plays where you're just like oh my god he's just going through this guy what the hell are we gonna do and he just doesn't have the mentality too scared of getting fouled whatever it is 
uh it's really a, has been a problem and so this guy's not creating his own offense he can't stand somewhere to be an off-ball threat like he is a straight up offensive liability in the half court and even when you throw in his transition i think that only brings him up to really kind of being an average offensive player and maybe it looks better and he could be used differently if he's not playing with him but again even when he's not you know they're playing with horford as the backup center with him or or w- whatever it is where they've got more spacing he still just is not taking advantage of the physical gifts that he has and you know if he if he continues to not take step forward like that's going to be a bad contract maybe it'd be movable but it might be a bad contract well, and, and his struggles this season probably concern his supporters who would just say, ah, oh, you know, it's he's in a tough spot. The Sixers don't really have the ability to maximize him. But now some of those ball handler needy teams, I wonder how they're interpreting what has happened this season and saying, okay, how do we, he has to have the ball in his hands. How do we build an offense around Ben Simmons? The Washington Wizards, our last team of the night, three and eight, one and four in their last five, 24th in net rating, negative 4.1. Somehow the third ranked offense in the NBA, they are shooting the shit out of the ball. That's a big part of why. Remember Brad Beal really struggled the first couple of games. Now he's been awesome. Uh, 29th in defense. Okay. That's uh, not a big surprise there either. Also an interesting note for these guys statistically. They are the sixth best offensive rebounding team in the NBA and the 30th best defensive rebounding team in the NBA. So clearly uh, one does not transfer over to the other end of the floor right now. So, uh, what are you seeing from these guys of late? Well, there are a couple of a couple of nice positive stories that are actually more on their bench. Another team that's been pretty entertaining in those minutes. Mo Wagner, he's leading the NBA in true shooting right now, 73%. He's also, I think, leading the NBA in charges. That I, I don't know that, but that could very his, well be his, the case. I've seen him draw a couple. His instincts have really impressed. And he's doing that on 24% usage in about 19 minutes a game. Helped by shooting 48% on threes, 4.7 per 36 minutes, and 70% on twos. And his large, his his frequent partner in the front court has led to some of this really fun stuff, which is Davis Bertans. I still think there's an argument that Bertans should not be coming off the bench, but Bertans, 61% true shooting on 15% usage. And they've been running uh, this. Matt Moore brought this up. Uh, he had, if you want to check his feed, you can see the, some videos of it. They've been running some Bertans Wagner pick and rolls, which are really entertaining. And when you think about some of the ideas with the, you know, trying to generate offense on a second unit when you're largely playing against an opponent's second unit, those unconventional things, especially when both guys can pop, can work pretty well. And Bertans has been more competent as a driver and overall offensive player this year, which I've enjoyed. Brad Beal has been, as mentioned earlier, ridiculous. Uh, you pulled a few stats uh, on him you want to get to, right? Yeah. I mean, so for the full season, 30 points, seven assists in 36 minutes a game. Points and assists are both career highs in this limited season so far. 57% true shooting on 33% usage, assisting on another 30%, basically. And remember, like he's been really efficient. 33% on threes is low for him, helped by the highest free throw attempt rate of, of Beal's career. Yeah, and really... There was a question years ago as he was coming into his own of whether he could maintain this level as the focal point of an offense. I mean, this guy is... We saw it when they were 10th after John Wall went down last year. He was the focal point there. I mean, this guy has really improved to the point where he can be the focal point of an above average NBA offense really on his own without any other huge creators. Uh, I mean, their second best creator right now is one Isaiah Thomas, who it's actually been average in terms of true shooting. Most of that is on the strength of 39% from three. Uh, and excellent shooting 53% on long twos. Another stat uh, per NBA tracking data, 
He's gotten a combined 14 inches off the ground on his 15 shots around the basket. Okay, that's that's actually my tracking data. Uh, but he can't jump at all anymore. I mean, he used to be this fantastic finisher. And obviously in those Halcyon days of 15, 16, and 16, 17, with the Celtics, he was taking around 30% of his shots at the rim. He's really, you remember when he came in, he was like the layup master, one of the best finishing guards we'd ever seen. And now clearly this hip issue and age have robbed him of any explosiveness. I mean, it's basically just scoop shots floaters when he's able to get there his free throw rate is also way down remember he used to be one of the best at just kind of getting flying off screens getting guys to run up his back draw those kind of bs shooting fouls the crackdown and that has probably hurt him a little bit but uh, also he just doesn't have that same quickness but his skill level and his shooting uh, have looked pretty good and at least uh, he's healthy they need someone who can run a pick and roll because ish smith has struggled so badly for them offensively uh yeah yeah to, to mention that ish smith for the season 42 percent true shooting 24 percent from three so just having somebody out there who can hit a shot can be valuable and that's part of why isaiah is and that, uh, something i alluded to before is you could make an argument that focus Focusing on winning games this season, the Wizards could actually benefit from leading even harder on their offensive strengths. Presumably, that would be Davis Bertans playing a larger role at and minimizing or reducing at least Hachimura or Troy Brown. But that isn't necessarily the game that they are playing. As long as management, you know, they've they've given Tommy Shepard the reins. As long as he and Ted Leonsis are on board, then playing those younger guys, giving them the reps, getting them experience with Bradley Beal, that makes sense in the long term. And I mean, I think that's the right decision for the. Wizards, but I, I did think it was worth tracking because, I mean, even if Brooks isn't necessarily on the hot seat, winning games could help him, you know, moving forward. All right. I, I think we can wrap up here. Thanks again to Blinkus for sponsoring today's program. The Blinkus app gives you the key takeaways from thousands of best selling nonfiction books and packs it down into just 15 minutes for you to either read or listen to. 10 million people are using Blinkus right now, including me, not literally at this moment, but I am a subscriber. It is a massive and growing library, self help to business to health and history right now you get 25 percent off your first year at blinkist.com slash gasface oh and hey the, the copy did not say this but i will tell you because it was in the other ad that you will get your first seven days free as well blinkist.com slash gasface don't give, don't forget that slash gasface url and let them know that you came from us at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.